But I think. Welcome to Dr. Carl Grodd, a podcast that's dedicated to exploring what makes the secular sacred. I'm Jameson, one of your co-hosts. Consider me your resident enthusiast. I'm joined today by Ben Burnside, also an enthusiast. No, he's our resident professor, elbow patches himself. He refuses to accept that mantle, but <laughs> after 30 episodes through Stockholm Syndrome, I'll wear him down and he'll actually show up in a jacket with elbow patches. Our podcast is based around exploring what about narratives, especially in slightly more nerdy hobbies, draw us together. What is it about shared story? What is it about our interest? What is it that resonates with us regardless of our background or perspective? As a reminder, we are ministers. Uh, we serve in the greater Houston area at the moment, and we bring a Christian lens to our hobbies and experiences. But as we've said, we find things that are nerdy, a fertile ground for conversation with people of a wide variety of beliefs. Uh, you don't get quizzed on your particular faith expression before you're allowed to be a Star Wars fan, for instance. <laughs> and speaking of Star Wars, Star Wars, that is the topic of today's podcast. Now, you may have seen the title, Last Jedi. You may be thinking to yourself, that is not a controversial film <laughs> at all. Uh, I cannot search YouTube and find any videos that would suggest that anyone has been displeased or that people don't chastise others for not recognizing its hidden genius. Would you say it's a fairly neutral film? Very neutral. Like a rom-com. Right. That is perhaps one way to describe it. Completely unoffensive. Completely unoffensive. It welcomes people of all ages. But the, 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 the aspect we wanted to bring was not so much a deep dive critique of plot and structure and what the director is trying to do, but rather, why is it that we were so offended or elated as a fan base? Uh, I think anyone that walked into The Last Jedi, it's fair to say, had an emotional experience. Yeah. And it was either positive or negative. And we'll get to what range of emotion we felt after we saw it in just a second. Uh, but like all of our podcasts, before we jump into The Last Jedi, let's do something completely different. A part of our show where we have prepared a random question for our co-host just as an opportunity to put them on live air and see if they can respond accordingly. So Burnside, I'm going to practice my manners. Okay. Who would you like to go first? Me or you? Well, I think you should go first. I guess I should have specified. What I'd is like going... you to pose the question first. Awesome. So one thing... I have always wondered, and I hope you can answer today, Uh-oh. are English crumpets really as good as they say in England? <laughs> I've never had an English crumpet. That's a very odd question. In all of your studies in England, you've never had a crumpet? Well, what even is a crumpet? It's like a biscuit. No, a biscuit is a cookie. Everybody knows that. Well, what do you, aren't crumpets like muffiny things? They're not biscuits. They're like biscuits here. Biscuits are just chocolate chip cookies. No, I get that, but I'm saying, isn't a crumpet like a biscuit in England? Are we losing people? All right. That was a terrible question. Okay, well, I'm a little rusty, all right? I thought you would have some... I, I want to know what to put with my marmalade later, and apparently I'm going to be having none of that. So let's just move on. <laughs> what do you want to ask me? <laughs> if you want to have a English tea time, I'm probably not your person. It's good to know. I'm filing that away. <laughs> So I had a more, I don't know, 
Uh, my question, going with the theme of today, is I know that science fiction is not your favorite genre, but what would be your si favorite science fiction film? That is a good question, because science fiction is not my favorite genre. Wow. Um, I'll go cheesy a little bit, and I'll go with Kubrick. And I'll say 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's hard not to love that film. And I will say, when I watched it first on, I think it was VHS as a kid, did not have a positive experience of it because I watched it in my friend's home. And we're kind of like, what's the big deal about this film? You have to pay attention. Right. However, when I was older, uh, and Bernstein and I were supposed to see it together, and one of us got radically ill, so I was left with still a ticket and seeing it by myself at the Alamo Draft House here in Houston, I was blown away how incredible it was in the big screen. It's one of those films that almost can't be seen at home, or at least a home that I own. I do not own a home that has a theater-style setup, let me be clear, but yeah, that's easily probably my favorite sci-fi. It's not the most approachable one, so if I was, I'm trying to think, to be more polite, if I was gonna recommend a movie to someone out there who hasn't, who's maybe into sci-fi and hasn't seen it, you know, honestly, a pretty good one that's come out recently that I think a lot of people would get behind is The Edge of Tomorrow with Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise. Kind of that time travel action film. It's pretty good, I think. Action figures, you don't recommendation. All right. I apologize. I'm just trying to be friendly, and I'm being met with hostility, so I'll keep that opinion to myself, but you should totally check it out. Uh, no. So I'll work on my question for next time. I'm sorry. Uh, if you came here and you thought this was the great British baking show, I apologize. We're going to lose you. I was trying to, to keep you tagged in, expand the fan base, Burnside, and you will have none of that. So we're going to be moving on to the main part of our podcast, which is talking about The Last Jedi and specifically what it means to have unwelcome narratives. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the buildup of Star Wars, Star Wars fandom in general, uh, why there's so much energy around a franchise that honestly has produced very little in what I consider to kind of be official canon, um, uh, at least on the silver screen, you know. But it's incredible that with that limited scope, they have generated such a huge fan base. So, you know, why don't we talk a little bit about the humble origins of Star Wars. Back in the day, there was a boy named George, and he had a dream of wars in space. In the galaxy long, long ago, this is where we should have a text scroll, right? So. Yeah, uh, George Lucas, there's an amazing documentary about this on Disney Plus, if you would like to watch it, I forget the name, but he was an experimental film, filmmaker that had made some commercial films and put together this crazy idea he had for Star Wars, and at the time, Star Wars was, I mean, science fiction movies were cheaply done, massively produced, and no one really cared, and he had an idea to do it right um, he was influenced by all kinds of cinema and put together a movie that frankly blew people away. Uh, it came yeah. out, it was expected to be a giant failure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it took four years of production just because they kept struggling with financing and like getting things off the ground. You know, it's amazing to think that kind of like if you were in the seventies and you knew a guy named Bill or a guy named George, those would have been the people that I would have wanted to invest a couple dollars in. That's all I'm saying. So yeah, that, that began the phenomenon and it, and it, took a huge uh, impact in culture because people who went to cinema had never seen anything like it. And all of a sudden there was a craze, uh, a marketing craze, which is another genius of George Lucas to market <laughs> this science fiction movie that had not been done before. So now there are toys and 
t-shirts and cereal bowls. And, you know, we always like to drop in some unasked for trivia, but if you're talking about a film that launched who is considered a modern day great actor, I mean, Harrison Ford, this really launched his career. I believe he was in a film before this American Graffiti, right? Also by... Also by George Lucas. Yeah, but, you know, at the time, I think he was working as a carpenter, like very unknown, and he's in this Star Wars film, and even he has said, I did it because I wanted a job, kind of, and then he just blew <laughs> blew yeah. up. Uh, I like to think of his uh, Han Solo character as the audition for Blade Runner, but that's a different conversation uh, because that is an, an incredible sci-fi movie that gets no love, so maybe we'll talk about that in a different podcast. But you brought up something interesting, which is Star Wars represents a cultural movement in cinema that really tapped into merchandising, I think, in a way that other films had. I mean, I'm not going to say that they created the action figure, but there was something about the merchandise they produced and how they thought about the action figures they can make would actually influence the way that films were crafted, kind of beginning from there. Uh, there's a famous kind of argument that went on over Re- Return of the Jedi, obviously, that um, some of us who are fans still wonder why Lucas made this decision. But instead of having Wookiees, which would have been incredible, we got cuddly Care Bears named Ewoks, who apparently can take down some of the highest trained soldiers in all of the galaxy, which after the prequels we found out are modeled after Boba Fett himself. So that's really surprising. The point is uh, that Star Wars really tapped into we can influence whole families. This is a this is a film for all ages. It it tapped into a fan base that is still rabid to this day that keeps attracting new folks. I don't know many film franchises that can can roll over its fan base decade to decade like Star Wars had. Now, has. Now, I, I will say um, we hit a little bit of snag in the late 90s. Oh, did we? Uh, I'm just saying some of us, when we were children, bought Jar Jar Binks t-shirts. Uh, and then some of us, when we were adults, saved our friend in their phone as Jar Jar Binks, which is a hateful thing to do even to this day. It's a non-specific example, but it was, I mean, being our exact age, we were born, you know, four or five years after Return of the Jedi came out. So as we're coming of age, we can watch movies. We discovered the Star Wars movies a couple of years, four or five years before we got episode one. So the buildup was insane. Expectations and, and some were of the er- some of the earliest memories I had with my mom was going to see the Star Wars special editions that we released in theaters. And so we saw all of them together, which kind of started a tradition of us seeing some of these films together when I was a kid. But the prequels, let's just say, were divisive. Uh, They weren't divisive by sales because I I, I used to have these records in my head, but the amount of action figures that were sold before Phantom Menace came out, I mean, the lines, the the, it was, yeah, grown men buying duplicates of 16 figures. Um, and we can call action figures whatever we want, um, or you could call them dolls, but we'll call them whatever we want. I'm not trying to be demeaning, demeaning of people that collect action figures at all. I'm just saying it, w- it was the first time that I had ever seen adults really desire action figures. So I thought they were kind of for kids, but it kind of transcended into this whole collectible craze, which has really continued to this day. And people collect Star Trek and all kinds of of, of things. But I just, I remember that that, that high point of, merchandise and excitement and then just the woomph 
by the time we got rid, you know, to the end of the, the last film in the prequels, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was like, called? that's embarrassing. I just can't even remember Star Wars There names. are thousands of opinions, and I could talk for two hours about the prequels. We're not. Um, Let's just say that overall, they left a a kind of a felt like a sucker punch in the in the fandom as a whole. But I think that leads directly into what we want to talk about, which is why were the prequels so illy received, and then what created the hype that led to Force Awakens, and then of course the Last Jedi. And I think what we're already seeing right is Star Wars has always had a ton of fiction written about it. I mean, book series, yep. whole plot lines spelled out, kind of the unofficial official canon where there wasn't anyone really curtailing what the Star Wars storyline was. I mean, it's not like DC or Marvel that has to have whole departments to figure out continuity. But, you know, you had this fan base essentially creating their own stories to fit kind of their own ends, right? Um, and well, they, I mean, the novel series functioned very much like a comic book that that's a good years. point but it was a way for yes. people right to to kind of live out and live into what they wanted star wars to be yeah you know they kind of right got washed away right <laughs> right and it that that brings us to the force awakens so you have a fan base that's that's this rabid that's attracting new generations you had the the missteps of the prequels and now we find ourselves with a fan base that is getting pumped because I still remember the day when Disney bought Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And everyone thought there's one thing that Disney does. Because you got to remember, there was a time before Disney owned every intellectual property. I know it's hard. Kind of like COVID-19. We can't think before those times. But there was a time when Iron Man was, you know, kind of this random good superhero film. And then all of a sudden, Disney starts decides to buy Marvel. And you're kind of like, what's happening? Why is this getting so popular? And then they bought Star Wars. Yep. And you're like, holy uh, and you're thinking, Disney can't fail, right? Right. The one thing they know to do is how to make an approachable, like, unoffensive movie. Like, right. they, they make films that even their worst films are like, you're like, okay, yeah, fine, that's good. I mean, most Marvel films, you're like, okay, that's like, the, that's, I've never had a negative feeling leaving a Marvel film. Um, and Force Awakens, I will say, huge fan. I got super pumped. Uh, it was a little weird that they kind of blew up all the canon, <laughs> you know, officially. They they were kind of saying, yeah. Oh, the canon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. They fired canons in that. But I meant, like, to your point. Yeah, yeah. All the books, everything else, they tossed out. Sense. But let me tell you, even with that, people were still stoked that The Force Awakens came out, right? I mean, they were almost willing to trade these years of, I'm going to get what I finally want. And then we came to... Uh, oh. 2017. Say what you want about The Force Awakens. It it gave us what we wanted, which was a simple Star Wars story. It was very similar to New Hope in structure, but that's fine because that's all we really wanted. There was a there's a lot of hope expectation, new characters, what's coming next, and excitement. And then, well, you're saying say what we want. I think The Force Awakens is a great film. I just want to go on record as saying that. But 2017 happened. Uh, and I still remember distinctly. I saw it uh, at the Alamo Draft House on Mason Road by my house, and I saw it with CJ, and I walked out, and for the first time in my movie etiquette history, I had an emotional reaction that gave away plot points as I was leaving the building. 
Uh, Birds I can bring up times in which I've left films in a silent, smoldering rage only to explode in the parking lot because that's what civilized people do. They, they save it for their cars. But this I couldn't. I, of all the films I've ever left and all the anger I've ever experienced over how I felt about how the film went, I, I feel like Star Wars broke up with me in The Last Jedi. That's kind of how it felt. I felt like I showed up for our, th- for our three-year anniversary, everything's going well, and I got the, it's not me, it's you. Uh, it's time for you to move on, Jameson, is what it felt like. I, I, there's someone else I'm interested in, and that's the person I want to go with, and I left rejected. Uh, ben, I know you love the film, so I'll let you step in here to talk about your love for it. I did not love the film. I did not love it. Almost sounds like a Dr. Seuss thing. I did not like the film. Yeah, it... Ryan Johnson is a very capable director, and I like some of the other movies he's directed. And he's very open with it about saying he intentionally wanted to create a movie that subverts your expectations. This is a meme by now, but that's what he said. He wanted, he he feels um, if he has created a successful movie, then half the people will hate it and half the people will love it. So. I guess he created a very successful movie. Which I is But okay. he came into it wanting to do that. What a strange this is really I mean we're gonna we're gonna try to not get in the nitty-gritty, but this there's a couple decision points. I don't understand why Disney picked this director. I don't understand why they thought it was a good idea to pick someone who was outwardly said I want to create something that's controversial. Like Star Wars as an entity, that's not what it's about. It doesn't it's not supposed to be about pioneering driving narratives or like you know shaping the scope of cinema and i know because there's some of you out there they're like but it could be it should be i'm like i i guess maybe but that's not nowhere in its history has it done that you know it's not part of its legacy and that maybe goes to the first point where we'll talk about which is i think it's fair to say that this is an unwanted unwelcome narrative for most fans i mean I, critics may like this but overwhelmingly the backlash to this was was intense to the point where I think they were supposed to give him a trilogy, right? And they're like, actually, is it officially canceled? I thought they officially canceled. Maybe not. Oh, maybe they brought in the Game of Thrones people and they canceled the Game of Thrones folks. I can't remember. The point is, I, I, yeah, I, I maybe misspoke there. I apologize. The point is, uh, this really was something that did not meet expectations. And there was strong emotional reaction. You may be listening to this today. I don't know how many years in the future, hopefully being curated by the Smithsonian. And you're probably still upset about The Last Jedi. Or you still think that you're right about The Last Jedi. I've never experienced a film that created such a difference of opinion in how it was received. Either It felt like you either loved it as a pioneering work of genius or you couldn't even make it out of the draft house without telling people this sucks. You know, that 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 was the oscillation. So maybe we'll, let's explore a little bit. What is it in our in us? What is it in our minds that creates this expectation and then when it's not met, do we have such kind of a violent reaction to it? You know, what are some of those aspects of the film maybe from the last Jedi we can pull out that make it hard for us to accept that this is not the movie I wanted. Right. Oh, I, I have two things really. First is we have the expectations we have of going into a Star Wars movie and not an Oscar movie or an art film. In a Star Wars movie, you expect the structure to be black and white, 
good guys versus bad guys. You expect there to be adventure and swashbuckling and moments where you can cheer and be excited. You're not going in it for art or to be challenged. You're going to have a good time for the universe to be expanded, see cool new stuff, all of that. And Last Jedi intentionally tries to make it gray. So um, I'll, I'll expand on that in a minute, but my second kind of direction to go with this is that I don't think it's necessarily the worst idea to do something surprising. I don't. I think Empire, in its own right, was surprising because it's a very negative movie and it ends on a, on a bad note, but it, I think it's the best in the trilogy. Um, I think it was poorly executed because I think it's pretty brilliant to put Luke on a planet and being a homeless, uh, milk-drinking weirdo. That's fine, but it doesn't. It's not consistently done, and there's no payoff. He doesn't change. He says all this stuff, which is completely against all of the talk about Jedi that has ever been. And Ray doesn't ever learn anything or listen to him because right. she takes she takes the books that he wants to burn. He says the time for the Jedi to die, and she goes and bees a Jedi. It's there's there's no redemptive narrative. There's no payoff for. For it, it's just like with the entire movie. You watch it, and you and where what really what happens is the resistance goes from four hundred to twelve, and nothing else happens. Right, <laughs> right. So you're talking about how they they took some aggressive changing of the history of kind of the franchise, the expect- expectations, and they didn't necessarily do it in a way that seemed relevant or important. And I will say, I agree. I, I wouldn't go so far to think, say it was a good idea. I, I don't think it I was think a good it idea. it had the potential to be a good idea. Whatever you said, I don't agree with, is what I'm trying to say, uh, politely, at least. But to, to your point exactly, I, I get what you're saying. No, I'm trying to be a little playful there. My point is, there there was an attempt to really change what made Star Wars Star Wars. Yeah. And to to do that in the middle of a trilogy is very bizarre to me. Uh, we had kind of seen that, I think, a little bit in Rogue One, which I believe came out between The Force Awakens and Last Jedi, which worked. I thought Rogue One is, is an excellent Star Wars film, in my opinion. I really appreciate what it did. Very dark tone. Did not have classic Star Wars good guys. I mean, heck, one of the main good guys in the film murder someone in the opening scene. Right. Uh, and then everyone dies in the end. You know, like, they're, oh, spoilers, spoilers. Well, um, it, it's a spoiler from a movie from 1977, so I think it counts. No, no, no. Rogue One is not from 1977. But they say that... Oh, right, 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 right. right. This information and right. that walking in. Right, that's a good point. You thought they, maybe <laughs> maybe they made it out somehow. Maybe they're, maybe they're on a retirement farm for, for, for rebellion pilots, uh, rebel pilots. Right, but they, they totally switch that, and so that creates in us um, a distortion of something we need to work out. Because I, I think if, we have, if we're honest, if we have a strong emotional reaction to something, that's a lot about us. You know, we're bringing to a film that we need Star Wars to be good because it helps support us in some way. Yeah. Um, and we don't like our, our fandom, our hobbies, to feel disordered perhaps like our lives are sometimes. You know, like we don't we don't want to feel that disconnect. Uh, so what was um, maybe an extrapolation? Because I think you started with one point. You have two points. So do you want to move on to the? Well, 
I, I basically said it. It's just that I think having a shocking kind of turn of events is okay if there's a payoff. Right. But I just don't feel that the structure made it clear when we were supposed to be excited. When we, I think the humor is so weird. This is like, am I supposed to laugh here or not? So I think it's really about for me, if if it if it is worth doing, upending subverting expectations, I think it should be done well and written better than the mess that we currently have got. Right. So. So there needs to be some bang for your buck, or kind of an investment payoff. So whereas the first one is about your general feelings overall of the being shifted, this is about I'm invested in this film in this moment. It's almost it's interesting because it felt like. I made a little joke about how I feel like Star Wars broke up with me. But a lot of folks I listened to afterwards made it sound personal. They felt like something personally had happened to them in this film. Right. And I'm not even saying that I didn't have strong feelings about it, but I didn't, I didn't feel like Disney was out to get me. But that whole backlash, they, there were folks that felt like Disney was there to tear down Star Wars. I mean, the negative press that Disney got. Disney never wants negative press. They hate negative press. And the press they got was outlandish. Well, to be fair, it made a lot of money. Right. So right, which I always press I, goes nowhere. Right, 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 which I also thought was funny. It's like we are so upset at you that we're going to continue to see this film to show you how displeased we are. With yeah, I mean, so, it definitely affected money overall, and it definitely affected rise of Skywalker and things like that. That made a lot of money. Right. Well, it it created this this pivot point, right? Yeah. And I think what people are wrestling with now is, you know, it kind of shattered. The momentum of Star Wars fandom, and a little bit from a movie perspective, I don't really know where people stand right now. On like more Star Wars films, they pushed back a lot of their projects they were thinking about. I mean, Han Solo did not do very well. It was a good movie. I thought Han Solo was a good movie. Yeah, it's excellent. Okay, I, we're gonna stay on topic. And let's also forget the Mandalorian was excellent as well. Okay, well that's fair. Uh, but my point is, it it's interesting. Because one of the other things that I would want to bring up is there's a little bit of comparison here, right? If you're looking at the Disney properties, I don't know how many of us are out there that love the Marvel movies. There's a lot of us because they keep making like a billion dollars a piece. A bad Marvel movie makes 700 million. You're like, well, why did it do so terrible? It only made 700 million. Um, but the the other thing I've heard is this comparative nature, right? Like our story doesn't work out the way we want. We look to this other fan base. We're like, Marvel gets in-game. Which, you know, the whole Infinity War endgame payoff for a lot of folks was like a capstone of 20 plus films. And just, yeah. in my mind, in my mind, I don't want to say too much because this probably will be something we can talk about further. But one of the greatest payoffs in cinema history, if you think about the number of films that went into it, it yeah. should not exist in its current state with how as good as it is. Not a perfect film, but the fact that it exists and exists as well as it does is a testament to what they, the Russo yeah. brothers did in there. So I think there's also some comparison now where Star Wars fans are like, Disney, you look at Marvel, you make a classic Marvel movie. Every Marvel movie is the same. I happen to like them, but that's a knock on them. That's fair. They kind of have a script. The right amount of humor, a little bit of tension, yeah. you know, finely sculpted men playing superheroes. We all like that. Um, but Star Wars plummets. And so you probably also have that idea of a little bit of comparative shopping where we feel worse about ourselves. Because we look out and we see someone else that seems to have it better. Some other fan base that has it better. Because, as most fans can probably agree, you can imagine a million better ways for The Last Jedi to go. Well, they've been written. On, on, on Reddit. 
Go to Reddit right now and look like, it up. Hey, here's how I want the movie to end. I want Kylo Ren to fight a hollow projection that he can't tell is real because he's not a real Jedi. And that's that's it. You don't think that Kylo Ren is a real Jedi? Um, he couldn't tell that Luke wasn't actually there. That's oh, I got what you're saying. <laughs> gotcha. And then everyone in the whole first order watches them fighting with the hollow projection and getting embarrassed. And then he gets super angry. Well, maybe they would argue. Well, I, oh, well, I'm I'm stopping here. I was about to defend the last Jedi. The point is, yeah, keep talking. Um, so, um, let's talk about endings for a second. So, it did it did not take us where we wanted to go because, as a particular Star Wars fan, it didn't respect really what we were looking for. And I think that if it was a different franchise or its own movie and he took some of these ideas, it might have worked really well. Right. So you talked about 2001 Space Odyssey. That's actually one of the examples I wanted to use here. Um, well, I'm happy you asked me the question. Then. <laughs> it, it's a movie from the 60s that Kubrick put together. It did not make the millions and millions of dollars that uh, Star Wars Last Jedi made. But it ha- does have that kind of symbol of prestige in the sci-fi community. And it has a bizarre ending. It has a very confusing ending. Um, no one knows what the endings are really about because it's it's just a bunch of images and it's mostly like poetry. Like you just take from it what you want to take from it. Right. And it's very slow and honestly pretty controversial. But the structure of the movie is such that you have no idea where it's going. So you get this weird ending. You're shocked, but it makes you think. And you kind of know when you go into it that it starts off with apes and then it ends up in space. Something weird is going to go on. <laughs> and well, so That's really well said. So it's not that shock endings uh, where credits just all of a sudden appear in front of you and you're like, what does that mean? You know, the artist is doing that to make you think. I, don't, I didn't get that from Last Jedi. I, I didn't think, I just felt that I was being messed with just for the sake of not doing the cookie cutter copy of Empire that he was uh, supposed to have done or rumored to have done, whatever. I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I saw a tweet once that said, uh, "We didn't ask for hipster Star Wars, so you can have it back." It's kind of was kind of the thought about the Last Jedi. So you've hit a lot of good points, and I think for a lot of us listening, uh, we hope that we are with us in the majority that universally dislike this movie. However, we recognize that if you walked into it with a very walked into it and walked out of it with a positive experience i would still think that you went into it because you were you wanted something different maybe you were looking for star wars to take a different path and that still goes back to our point which is we all are going to hit these narratives often in our lives hopefully not in our fandom maybe our fandom can be left alone but definitely in our lives where it's not gonna it's not gonna work out the way we want yeah there's gonna be a disconnect uh, that causes a lot of grief and anxiety and I think often when I see people get really upset at a movie, uh, myself included, as as a as a pastor, I think, what else is going on in that person that's causing that? Where they're kind of putting all their eggs in the Star Wars basket to work out. And yeah, it, I, I can't, I don't have an answer for it, but it sums up such real and strong emotion. This is a passion that I feel about very few other things. <laughs> right, because in, in some ways, you know, we... <laughs> We feel like we own the story. Um, I think we think that we own Star Wars. 
And and so Disney is the one that needs to apologize to us because Disney has taken something that we possess and done with it what they please. I would like to point out they did pay a couple billion dollars for it, so maybe they have the rights to it in some capacity. But you know, that's my one my one defense of Disney that I have now live recorded that I regret. But the whole idea is that like there seems to be um, when we don't get the narrative we want, it feels like it it messes with our feeling of security and ownership. Yeah. Like it's hard for us to get back. So I, 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 as I said at the beginning, you know, when we reflect on this, I think there are stories um, in scripture that speak to this as well, that that life unfolds like this, and that maybe part of what drives us to argue so hard against the last Jedi is much like our own lives, it feels like it's out of our control. And so I'm, I'm curious, Burnside, uh, from your immense theological study, could you uh, illuminate for us perhaps some of those stories which also speak to kind of unwelcome or unwanted endings? Sure. So when I, I thought about this, I guess, I guess the main example I'd want to say is the book of Jonah. Um, not the story time kid version of the book of Jonah, but the actual real one. Is that one called Pinocchio? Uh, does no that's a giant whale uh jonah was actually swallowed by a giant fish i don't know if you know that that's another thing oh are we in arguments over whether or not whales or fish no what i want to say is that jonah ran from god's call because as he tells and as he tells god in the last chapter he knew that if he went and preached to his hated enemies that god would forgive them because god's a loving god and Jonah did not want those people to be forgiven. <laughs> he was upset at God for being merciful, for being loving. And so you would imagine if, if, what, if the ending is that Jonah does the preaching he's supposed to do and he comes to a greater understanding of love, but that is not the ending. The ending is, you know, he's sitting there baking in the sun and God, you know, puts a little vine to give him some shade and then God kills the vine so now he's back in the sun. And Jonah says... I'm angry enough about this to die, about the vine, about God making him preach the Ninevites. He was always super angry. That my preaching actually worked? How dare you make me one of the most yeah. effective preachers in Scripture? He says one sentence and then leaves. <laughs> the greatest evangelist sermon ever given. So, um, so yeah, and God says, who are you to question? Who, why? Um, why would I not be? Why would I not care for all these thousands of peoples and their animals if you're so concerned about a vine? Who are you to question me? Essentially, is what he says. And the scripture ends there. We have no knowledge of if Jonah ever repented or ever got over his anger, and I kind of doubt he did, or else it might have been included. Um, so Jonah's expected narrative of God's supposed to take care of us and love us because. Uh, these are the people who, the Ninevites are the people who eventually come and destroy Israel. Um, for a Jewish person, for us reading it historically, would have been a shocking narrative that, that, that God would tell someone to go to the evil Ninevites and preach to them, or that they would be capable of forgiveness. So it's very much about xenophobia and all this other stuff. But it's one of those uh, shock endings that just cuts off in the middle of the story and this was a very kind of wisdom literature approach that goes back even to uh, the, the early Judaic times. So it 
nothing new. Right. So what I hate about that example is it feels like what you're telling me is I need to be open to the fact that Star Wars maybe was created for more than me, (laughs) uh, which I don't (laughs) like because that makes me feel like I need to appreciate The Last Jedi. But I think your point, it goes right to things that we hold on to the tightest are often the things that we're most in danger of not accepting kind of what happens or the possibilities that can happen. Like we want certainty. Absolutely. So the things that we love, especially as hobbyists, and I see this all the time and across the spectrum, is that we have a hard time accepting kind of whatever is created for creativity's sake unless it conforms to kind of what we want it to be. Yeah. Now, I would, we, I would still argue with all of that, because I know that I'm right, uh, that The Last Jedi is not great. However, what I, what I also feel challenged by is that perhaps in these moments of extreme grief and stress, can we be more self-aware to acknowledge, all right, how much do I care and can I give this up a little? Because it's, I think the one thing we didn't talk about with The Last Jedi, which we can talk about now with Jonah as well, is it's not helpful for Jonah. Like when we hold on to this anger over unwelcome narratives, it's one thing to acknowledge it. It's one thing to continue to live underneath it. And I've always taken the end of Jonah to be God telling Jonah, you're going to have to live with that and you're going to have to learn to kind of deal with it. Right. And so when I think about The Last Jedi, it's not going away. It is a movie that exists. Uh, it's a movie in the canon of Star Wars. And, and you know, this it's hard for me to believe, but there was a time in which I felt similar about the prequels. And I've kind of I've kind of moved on. So I hope I hope I for the grace and provision. Okay, good. Uh, well, that that that's a good spectrum. I'm a healthy human being, and here's a rabid Star Wars fan. But my I think my I, I love that example, Burnside, because I think it's a reminder for all of us. It's okay to have expectations. It's okay to hold on tight. We can come in kind of with this concrete view of how it should be, but if we're not more open, I think we're just setting ourselves up for an increased level or increased risk of just being disappointed with what happens in life. Yeah. I don't mean this as like a self-help message. Like, you know, you have the power of you to meet today because there are some traumatic events that we, that happen. And I don't want to downplay what anyone, what, uh, what anyone goes for. But at the end of the day, uh, as my dad told me after he heard me ranting about the last Jedi, it's just a movie. And that doesn't take away from its power but also it should focus kind of our ability to try to appreciate it because it is still part of the franchise that we love. And I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. I mean, I've never missed a Star Wars film, but I still try to do that. Uh, doesn't mean I'd ever own it on DVD. But the point is, do people even buy DVDs anymore? I was about to say, if you're buying DVDs, I don't know where. <laughs> doesn't mean I would ever own it on special release VHS. Uh, I, I made that mistake once, Lucas. I'm not doing it again. Well, you pay for Disney Plus and it's on there, so. So I guess I am indirectly supporting it. Well, that's a whole conundrum to work through. So that kind of concludes our our deep dive through uh, talking about The Last Jedi, working on um, kind of some of the parameters that affect our fandom, reflecting a little bit on what Scripture had to say about other unwanted matters. It really just made me sad, actually. Made you really sad? Yeah. Sometimes, sadly, life is a little sad. Uh, there's a reason that Eeyore stays in Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore's my favorite character in the movie. I could totally see that. You're totally an Eeyore. Anyways, well, that sounded derogatory. I love all the Eeyores out there, just not the Eeyore with me in the room, is what I'm saying. <laughs> all right, so we appreciate your your walk along that. At, you know, We'd love to hear your thoughts and comments, so reach out to us. 
to, to chat with us about how you take uh, The Last Jedi, whether you're totally in our camp of being negative, whether you think that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, maybe you slice your bread with a lightsaber, so we'd love to hear that. Uh, but we always like to close with a little bit of a look-ahead section to put something on your radar that you may not be thinking about. So Burnside, what is something coming up that you're kind of thinking about? Huh, this is something neat to kind of talk about or mention. I don't think this fits the parameters of what you just said. But... Well, you know what? Much like The Last Jedi, why don't you just give me whatever you're going to give me, and I will try to receive it I was with thinking opening. more in the frame of what am I excited about. So I'm going to answer that question instead. Um, I just watched the Hamilton uh, thing on Disney+. Plus. You finally watched I it? I finally watched it. And? It's hard to find three hours. Anyway, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Isn't it ridiculously good? It is ridiculously good, and I recently started reading the Hamilton biography. Oh, okay. It is fascinating. So it's been out for forever, really. But I'm really enjoying it and have been kind of steeping myself in American history. Did you know, to enter college during that time, you had to be fluent in Latin and translate the Bible from Greek to either Latin or English just to be accepted? So you're saying that admission standards were a little lower back then than they are today. You could also... Like James Madison and some other people entered like 15. Some people entered Princeton as early as 12 years old. Wow. Well, I couldn't even get to Princeton it now. It was a different time. Wow, that is a different time. <laughs> That's cool. So, yeah, Hamilton, uh, Disney Plus bought the rights, I think, to distribute their, their version of the musical. So they've released that. I still think it would have been interesting to see what would happen if it hit theaters. I think it would have made them well, – it probably was making them money now, but it would have been a huge kind of cinematic experience. And staying on that topic, I'm actually very interested in the announcement over Mulan that it will be coming as a rental to the Disney Plus platform. Oh, the new one? Yeah. So they're going to release it to Disney Plus to essentially kind of do a video on demand through their own system, which the reason I'm looking forward to that, one, I want to see Mulan. looks cool. And two, I'm wondering if that's going to signal a massive change in the cinema industry. I'm wondering if studios have been waiting for months now to figure out what to do. Well, they they were doing on-demand releases. Yeah, but not not with a major. Mulan will be the first major major blockbuster. I mean, the if you think about the kind of film it it, it was poised to make, five hundred million, six hundred million, seven hundred million at the box you office. You don't think Trolls World Tour is going to make five hundred million dollars? I'm not putting Mulan in that category. No, but my thinking is, you know. What are they going to do with their Marvel movies? That's kind of the next big step. Because this, to me, if Disney is doing this, this signals to me they are concerned about the long-term viability of releasing some of their products through theaters. And they're, they're going to use Mulan, which is a big name, but not the Black Widow movie. And they're going to see how Mulan does. And if it generates a lot of money, I'm wondering if you're going to see Black Widow and other films next. I'm I'm down for that. I think I'd still want to go to the theater when I, when I'm able, if I was able now. But I've rented a couple movies, and I think paying twenty, I'm more than happy to pay twenty dollars to make my own popcorn. Right. So. I guess the one bad part would be, what happens to all those cinemas if they lose con kind of contact with distributors like that? If they, how are they going to survive from movie to movie without knowing that they're going to get Mulan or Black Widow? I mean, they could. I don't care about like the AMC's and the Cinemarks of the world. I shouldn't say that to anyone out there. I do care about their employees, but 
I'm more worried about like the more independent places like the Alamo Draft House. Yeah, Draft House is fun. You think so? Yeah, because you go there for an experience. You don't go there because you have to go like to some. You have to see a movie. You have to go to some annoying. But when you go to the Draft House, you're going because you want the experience. So you're saying my grief is a little unfounded. Well, I'm just being hopeful. Unlike the Last Jedi, which is not hopeful. Poorly written. Awesome. Well, on that note, as we as we wrap up this podcast, uh, we really appreciate your time with us. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation on the Last Jedi on on unwelcome narratives, the ways in which we bring a lot to the stories we experience, and we have to be really honest about how we contribute to our own emotional reaction to that, in ways that perhaps we need to to work on being a little bit more receptive for our own sanity. But we hope to see you on our next podcast. And until then, I'm Jameson, your yeah. resident expert. We messed up a rhythm, and I'm Ben Burnside. You're supposed to say our resident theologian. Oh, our resident theologian. This is going smashingly. <laughs>